need we shrink from honestly facing conditions in our country today? This great nation will endure as it has endured, will revive and will prosper. So first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Our problems are man-made, therefore they can be solved by man, and man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable, and we believe they can do it again. For all those whose cares have been our concern, the work goes on, the cause endures, the hope still lives, and the dream shall never die. This is our moment. This is our time to put our people back to work and open doors of opportunity for our kids, to restore prosperity and promote the cause of peace, to reclaim the American dream and reaffirm that fundamental truth that out of many we are one, that while we breathe we hope, and where we are met with cynicism and doubt and those who tell us that we can't, we will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. Good evening, and welcome to tonight's episode of Liberal Fix Radio. It's Friday, April 5th. Um, my name is Keith Breckis, and I am joined tonight by co-host Crystal Kaiser and uh, Naomi, our show's producer. Uh, Dan Bimrose, who ordinarily hosts this, is not able to join us tonight because he is celebrating his son's graduation from basic training at Fort Sill in Oklahoma. So we congratulate Dan's son, Dylan, and wish him well as he joins the military and serving our country. Tonight we are also excited to welcome back a previous guest that we had on the Liberal Six Radio show in January, Mr. Randy Peraz. Randy is uh, president of Citizens for Better Arizona and also the head of the group um, Respect Arizona. Um, he was instrumental in recalling State Senator Russell Pierce um, earlier in Arizona. Right now he's working on trying to get uh, Sheriff Joe Arpaio recalled. Um, every Friday at 10 p.m. Eastern Time, Liberal Fricks brings you all the big news that occurred over the last week, important to liberals and progressives. And although we like to talk about what's going on in Washington, of course, um, we're a community of individuals spanning all four time zones in some of the flyover states from coast to coast. And <laughs> We sometimes offer a different perspective than what you might hear from Washington. You know, some of us are here embedded in some red states, so we see things a little different, but but still from a progressive position. And we invite all of you to become active contributing members to the Liberal Fix community. And, Crystal, how can uh, people find us and become more involved? Well, they can definitely um, get more involved by joining us every uh, Friday night. Uh, at 10 uh, p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And for Naomi, I believe that's at, let's see, let's do the math. No, I won't do that. We we give Naomi a very hard time because she, she has difficulty converting. Um, <laughs> but we, it's, it's all of fun, right, Naomi? Um, so anyway, but they can always, uh, it's 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and uh, we always post the link on our Facebook um, and if you're not familiar with our Facebook, you can find us at Facebook uh, backslash uh, Liberal Fix. 
And um, also we have a Twitter page um, if Twitter's your thing. And uh, basically you can find us. Uh, the only difference is it's called at the liberal sex. So we welcome everybody to um, comment, like our stuff, share our stuff on Facebook, join us. Um, we do have a call-in number. Sometimes we're able to here on the show uh, to have people you know, give us a call if they have, we have time to, to chat with them. We get some very interesting ones every once in a while. Um, and that number is 347-838-9406. So I'll do that one more time in case anybody wants to write it down. It's 347-838-9406. And if we have time, we definitely would like to hear from the people that tune in to us live. And throughout the week, if you have any questions that we'd like to discuss, uh, you can send an email to our producer, Naomi, and it's naomi at liberalfixradio.com. And uh, without further ado, then um, uh, we're ready to talk to politics, some politics. Before we get to our guest, we have a few short news stories to go through. Um, and uh, so are we ready to talk some politics? Well, aren't we every week, Keith? Yeah, that's <laughs> what we always do, isn't it? So <laughs> anyway, um, our first news um uh, there was another one in Texas, the Shell Pipeline. So, um, well, you, and there was a third one. Well, you kind of out for a second, Keith. Um, just, yeah. I don't know. Everybody's having problems with cell phones tonight for whatever reason. Um, like you said, technology is a wonderful thing as long as it works. Um, yeah, about the oil spills in, uh, uh, that we saw uh, this last week. Um, you kind of bleeped out for that, but go ahead. Knock yourself out. Okay, so yeah, so um, of course uh, the, our leads are one of our first news stories. It's just at the oil spills that we had this week. There's a pipeline that burst in Arkansas and another one in Texas. And so, um, you know, uh, just something to think about as they talk about how important the Keystone Pipeline is to run uh, oil through from Canada to the U.S. so we can export it to other countries. It's not even oil that will be used domestically, so... Yeah, and then there was also uh, something going on in Minnesota as well. Um, there was, uh, you know, basically uh, Minnesota spilling an estimate of 30,000 uh, gallons of crude, crude uh, due to the pipeline capacity constraints. Uh, crude oil has increasingly been shipped by rail in recent years. Um, so either way, um, it's, it's one of those deals, you know, they keep talking about this you know, the Keystone um, pipeline uh, creating all these jobs, but the only ones that I'm seeing are cleanup ones um, as far as that goes. That seems to, I'm sorry, but that's not the job creation I'd like to see happening. I, You know, when's the last time, Keith, Naomi, that you guys heard of a windmill falling over and, you know, leaving destruction that, you know, ruins people's you know, houses, yards, that sort of thing. You know, it just, you just don't hear about that for some reason, probably because it has never happened. And even if it did, that's right. And when they have a color spill, it's just called a nice day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'll take a, a solar, you know, like, uh, you know, spill any day, especially after the winter we just had. But um, um, I just hope that uh, you know, the thing of it is, is what a lot of people, progressives, um, and anybody with a little bit of common sense. Um, basically, you know, with some of these bills, look at what happened in the Gulf. You know, I mean, it's just not worth it. Um, there's got to be. I'd rather see that money going towards something that's green. That's just my opinion. That's right. I agree with that. And um, 
Our second uh, news bite story is uh, President Obama uh, volunteered in light of the sequestration cuts to uh, cut his pay 5% uh, in solidarity, I guess, with federal workers who are having their pay cut or at least frozen. And uh, following suit or following the president's lead, um, several cabinet members have done the same. I believe five of them, um, um, uh, Jack Lew, the Treasurer Secretary, uh, Janet Napolitano from Homeland Security, John Kerry, Chuck Hagel. And mm-hmm. uh, so there's, uh, there's five of them on board along with the president, as well as some uh, Democratic members of Congress, uh, Tammy Duckworth being one of them, and uh, uh, Donna Edwards from Maryland, another one in, in the Senate, uh, Claire McCaskill from uh, Missouri, and Mark Bigots from Alaska, and uh, Jay Rockefeller from West Virginia. And in fairness, I guess that there's also two Republicans who are also taking pay cuts, um, Lindsey Graham from South Carolina and Mike Lee, the Tea Party Republican senator from Utah. So at least um, at least they're, um, they're probably going to have a different position on what needs to be done with the budget, but at least they're, they're taking a pay cut, unlike, uh, for example, McConnell and Boehner and Eric Cantor, who probably wouldn't no matter what. No, yeah, I think we did have a quote from those three guys, if, if you want to know the truth. I think I have it on tape about how much they're going to contribute. So let's take a listen. Yeah, that would be that would be nothing. Anyway, that's just a little well, humor there. Like that, was, uh, that sounds more like something John Boehner would say. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a whole lot of nothing. Yeah. Um, and our final uh, news story before we get to our guest is there was the uh, primary election on Tuesday night where uh, Mark Sanford, um, the man who once uh, traveled off to the Argent- uh, Appalachian Trail and somehow ended up in Argentina, he's quite the hiker with his yeah, sister. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Mark Sanford, a, you know. <laughs> yes, he won the primary against his uh, uh, Republican opponents, so he will face off against Elizabeth Colbert. Colbert Bush, um, that's Stephen Colbert's sister. She does actually pronounce her name Colbert um, with a T pronounced. But in any case, um, the family of values, Republican primary voters apparently decided that they were going to put the adulterer up against uh, uh, Colbert's sister. So that is a race that I think um, the special elections may have. That's a race that the Democrats might be able to win just because of the flaws in the Republican candidate, although it's a very tough district uh, Obama only got about 40, just barely over 40% of the vote there, and uh, Mitt Romney got 58. So there's about an 18-point spread that Democrats will have to make up to take that district. But but uh, but since Sanford is a candidate, I don't think it's impossible. It's just going to be an uphill climb. Yeah, it's just one of those ones where, you know, the hypocrisy flows nonstop um, as far as that goes. Um nothing says family values than having a mistress in Argentina, but you know, Hey, who am I to judge? You know, I'd love to go to Argentina, but not under those circumstances. I'm just saying. So, um, but yeah, I, there's going to be some very interesting races, uh, coming up. I just, this is one of them. And, and, you know, if Kentucky can get their stuff and Ashley judge, judge gets out there. Well, you know, that going to be, one to have a voter turnout, that's for sure. So, um, yeah, there's, I mean, elections are always fun to anticipate, but it's the outcome that, you know, you, some of these are going to be kind of nail biters in, in that respect. But, yeah, that'll be interesting to see how that one turns out. 
Yeah, and I think it's important as our audience, um, um, as our our show, we tend to, we like to have people get active and get involved, and sometimes I think people think on an off-election year there's nothing to do, but but there are these special elections. It's very important with the Democrats needing to pick up just 17 House seats if they can steal one here. Of course, she would have to run again when the regular election comes, but if they can sneak one in there and get one step closer, it makes it that much easier next year. And yep. With that in mind, I'd like to introduce our guest for the same reason that, um, of course, he's working hard every single year and working on the ground, both in the electoral realm and, and maybe sort of also peripheral to it, but in, in the case of the recall, I guess it's an election type thing, but, but just also making sure that things get done for the people and doing things. So, um, again, we'd like to reintroduce uh, uh, Randy Peraz. Um, Randy, how are you tonight? Doing very well, thank you. Good, and it's great to have you back and great to hear all the hard work you're doing. And, and I just wanted to, uh, uh, if you could let our guests know, um, um, when was uh, Respect Arizona formed and, and why, or, or what, what are you guys all about? Yeah, I just wanted to clear up, uh, I'm one of the co-founders of Respect Arizona, but it's, it's okay. run, um, they have a chairman named William James Fisher, and they have a manager, they have a campaign manager named Lilia Alvarez, who's actually spearheaded. And we're three, uh, myself, with Citizens for Better Arizona, we're kind of supporting the work of the recall and Respect Arizona. Okay, okay I appreciate so that. Was, that was that was yeah that that was uh, it was formed on January 30th, and it, we had, we had, it are now 55 days ago until the actual futures are due. And so the, they've been, so we're in the process of really kind of, you know, getting the word out and getting more people engaged. We had an event, uh, Respect Arizona host first. We call it the largest ever meeting of, uh, during the actual recall process where people are collecting signatures and close to 500 people turned out to support wow. this effort. Wow. And so, and you guys had a big event yesterday? Um, yeah. Uh, as far as mobilizing people or, or uh, tell us about how that went or what that was all about. I mean, well, most progressives realize that yesterday was, you know, the anniversary of the of the assassination of Dr. King, one of the most civil rights leader, an icon, someone who, you know, put his life online every day to improve the lives of, of Americans, and so an open and expand opportunities. And so on that particular night, about four weeks out from that night, we started organizing and said, look, we need to bring people together to, to you know, break through the fear and let people you know, take a stand and, and join us. And a lot of us were part of the historic recall of Russell Pierce. And, we, and during that process of when we were collecting signatures, there weren't too many people who would publicly come out and do anything because he was president of the Senate and one of the most powerful politicians. And so we had some kind of similar problems with Sheriff Arpaio because of the fear and intimidation. And we were surprised. We had you know, a, lot, a number of elected officials turned out. Um, um, you know, we're close to 500 people came out to support this effort. So we thought that was a huge step to show people are finally willing to kind of come out during the actual recall phase when, Instead of waiting for the special election, it's, you know, we're actually coming out in the recall phase, phase to really be more public and to take ownership of this campaign, which is necessary for us to win. Very cool. And so as far as the actual turnout, how did it, you know, what sort of um, response did you get from your event? Um, I think it was... Um, it was huge in the sense that um, I don't think there's ever been any recall meeting where you know, close to 500 people turned out. I'm generally doing the recall of Russell Pierce. Our biggest gathering during the recall, which is just getting signatures at the most, was maybe 30, 45 people. It wasn't until wow. after we got the signatures that we actually got more people coming out. But so it was it was a it was a huge turnout. It was a lot of excitement, energy, and people kind of taking you know, taking more ownership of the work and taking out petitions and 
we'll be coming back on Sunday the 14th to, to have people turn those signatures in and get get them notarized and take out the next phase, right? It's about really pushing the work out, building a grassroots campaign. I mean, we've registered over 11,000 people since the recall started, um, and a huge, um, I mean, a predominant uh, number of those registrations were Latino voters. So this is the work we're doing in Arizona on the ground to get people engaged in politics. Now, how many signatures do you actually need um, to recall our pile? Well, on January 30th, we needed 335,317, but as of last night, we only need now, I think, somewhere in the neighborhood of 167,000 more signatures to make it happen. Great. And when's your deadline? When do you have to have it it wrapped up? We have a uh, deadline is May 30th. We still have 55 days to go. You think you'll be able um, to do it? Yeah, what we were telling people last night, because people are always still, that if you look at this on a percentage basis and in terms of the money, amount of money we raised during, the, during um, when Citizens for Better Arizona was leading the recall of Russell Pierce, at this particular moment in the timeline, then we were we we had made less progress. We had, you know, the major donors that hadn't come in yet. It wasn't until like mid-April that we started mm-hmm. to see the turn that we were going to be able to make this happen. And so, you know, they try and share people with her, look, you know, this is how close we are. I think it was kind of uh, it was very eye-opening for them to realize that hey, it's not that you know we do we can make this happen, we can make it work. Just like the little engine that could, yeah. Well, we're all everybody that is, even those of us that don't live in Arizona, we're all um, we'd love to see Joe. Although you know, there's always probably a spot for him at Fox Noise or News. I mean, and uh, but uh, we'd love to see him go because, um, quite frankly, I you know the the people that you deal with, Randy. Um, I, you know, they really have ruined, in my opinion, Arizona's brand. Um, I mean, that is one of probably the last states I would probably ever want to go to. And living in Iowa, you know, um, there we got a lot of snowbirds that go that way. But I'm like, no, I think I'll stick it out in the snow before I end up in Arizona. So I hope you guys can really accomplish that. Um, it would be a real feather in your cap if you could. Yeah, and I think with your track record of success, there's a reasonable prospect to that. One thing that I've always kind of surprised me is that, um, and each time this margin gets a little bit smaller, but I think uh, Sheriff Arpaio has been there since 1992, and um, and then, you know, he used to win elections pretty handily, and then the last three events, pretty close, and the last one was closer than the others. I mean, I think he only ended up getting a little over 51% of the vote, um, so, uh, but why, why do you think uh, he's managed to survive there for for 20 years or for two decades? Do you think um, it's just sort of playing on the old uh, he's the toughest sheriff kind of thing, and people still still go for that, even though his his uh, he's sort of jumped the shark. There's still enough people, or is there uh, anything that you see as his um, what has enabled him to survive? But now maybe he's kind of on the ropes. Yeah, I think he's been successful in really, you know, exploiting issues and you know, uh, using the media to really gather attention and raise money nationwide. But most people don't realize this last election that he won, um, he was able the last four years raise upwards of $8.6 million. A lot of that was from mostly from white folks over the age of 60 from out of the state of Arizona. He's able to do that because he, he takes an issue like immigration, right, and he goes after it and uses it. Uh, and uh, to target Latinos and immigrants, raid businesses randomly and discriminately, and then get the headlines as if he's doing any, something on impacting immigration problem. But in reality, those tactics and antics uh, do nothing to solve the problem. 
but it gets him the headlines. It gets him what he wants to, you know, what he wants to say. You know, he's tough on crime and he's willing to do this to, you know, protect citizens and, and, and be tough on the border, which, you know, we're not a border city. So, but, so over time through other political antics, whether it's pink underwear, whether it's tent city, um, whether it's, you know, bragging about spending 10 cents on a meal, um, and basically dehumanizing people who are becoming incarcerated for all sorts of reasons. Um, this is the type of situation we've been up against going as someone who's kind of an icon when it comes to media, his ability to capture the media's attention and to get his message out. And so, uh, and you said he raised eight million. I mean, that's like a U.S. Senate race, not a company share of race. That's just, wow. yeah, eight point six million. But the reason what I think what you guys were probably trying to even understand more why recall him is that when, we, when the dust settled in December, he got fifty point seven percent of the vote. But he spent $8.2 million. Uh, no time in the history of the sheriff's race here in Arizona, anyone ever spent $8.2 million to, to get a job. I think that pays anywhere from $80,000, $90,000 a year. Um, but he, he spent that money because he had to. We were actually winning. Um, and then he went and just bought all these commercials, went on TV, you know, had his, had his commercials where he'd just stand there and his wife would talk about who he was. He was running bio ads, right? Here he is, someone, one of the most known politicians in Arizona, running bio ads after being in office for 20 years. And wow. He showed the vulnerabilities that people were getting tired of his stuff, you know, the corruption, the abuse of power, the racial profiling, the um, targeting your opponents, putting them in jail with elected officials. I mean, it's just you know, over $100 million misspent. Money over 400 uh, on sex crimes environment women and children whose molesters were able to go free because he refused to, you know, allocate the resources and detectives to follow up on the, when those particular reports came in. So that's, yeah, that's the thing that's, that amazes me the most is he's not even effective at what he claims to be good at. I mean, the crime rate well, has gone up under his, uh, or at least, um, you know, it hasn't done as well as some of the other cities around the country. I mean, it, you know, he hasn't really solved the crime problem. He's just a good media um, attention yeah, getter, he, you know. You know, he, he, he's effective at that, which is unfortunate. I mean, he plays the people's fears and he plays the people's, you know, weaknesses and he's able to do these things where anywhere else they'll say, what are you doing, you know? Uh, I mean, this institute called the Goldwater Institute, which is not a bastion of liberalism, came out, I think, late, almost 2009, late 2008, say, basically, with a report called Mission Unaccomplished. Looked at the three basic functions of the sheriff and showed that he was failing in all of them. Um, but still, he's still yet able to kind of, you know, um, garner the support of an aging electorate in Arizona. So his days are numbered, just a matter, you know, do we want to, you know, wait four more years? Part of the thinking for Respect Arizona is that we didn't, as citizens, we didn't want to send the message that it's okay to reward bad behavior. And we thought that's really what was happening by giving him four more years and when he barely kind of won. Also, most people don't realize that on Election Day, we uh, we actually won on Election Day if you only count those votes. More people turned on Election Day to vote against Sheriff Arpaio than for him by a margin of about 8,000 votes. That had never happened wow. before. The reason why he was able to run to win because going into the election on the early vote, he had roughly a 50,000 50, vote margin of lead going into the election day, and then we, we you know, we and then election day, the voters that came in actually, you know, voted against him. Well, uh, Randy, I wanted to ask you. Um, you mentioned a couple of things, maybe uh, intimidation factor, and uh, obviously a lot of money that he's posting in, uh, that he's bringing in. Um, was there one catalyst that you think that finally got people and said, okay, that's it, you know, that's enough. We're we're not going to let this slide another four years. Um, was there something specific that happened, like the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back for you or for, well, for the citizens? I think for, there, the, 
for the I think for the group it was you know looking at at the, at the results of the election after we finally saw the real numbers, looking how much money he had spent, looking how much the first time he didn't have a, a war chest over a million dollars, he was below three below four hundred thousand, which made him more um, vulnerable politically. And then it was about really us having to look in the mirror. So I, did we believe everything about the sheriff to be true before the election? And if so, then does any type of election, no matter what he won by, I mean, it was the smallest margin ever, does that excuse or make right everything he did wrong? Um, especially the sex crimes, especially all the, just the, the abuse of power, everything else. And, and then, of course, you know, there's, 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 all, there's close to $300 million in, in legal cases pending against him. And so... Yeah. It was just more of a question of our own integrity, saying if we want to be authentic as, as of a voice for those folks who have been disenfranchised, have taken advantage, have exploited, then we can't, knowing that there is a recall statute, we can't walk away from that if, in fact, we can raise some resources to, to make this effort actually happen. So I think that's what it really was. It was just a continuation of us having to, you know, to say, look, what's, what type of, are we, we need to really, you know, take this challenge on given how bad it's been. And so I think the other thing no, go ahead. Go ahead. I think, you know, I'm not from Arizona. I think for the longest time people felt that that's just the way it is. You know, Sheriff O'Powell's been in power for two decades. So it's in a, you're in, it's in a county where we can't remember the last time a Democrat was one countywide. Um, and so people just kind of say, oh, well, you got to, you know, kind of just become a little more um, comfort. You take a little more. It's almost like it's almost accepted. And so what we're trying to do as Citizens for Better Arizona, we did that with the first peers recall, is say, you know, there's, there are other things you can do. You can organize. You can get people engaged. You can challenge things, um, even if it's a red state, even if someone like Russell Pierce, everyone thought he was invincible. So we're trying to change people's minds uh, in terms of what's possible here in Arizona with different organizing strategies that we believe are actually effective. Um, and so that's kind of what this, this, this recall is about, engaging people again on a countywide basis to say, look, let's make this change happen. We don't have to accept Sheriff Arpaio as being the person that, that damages our brand as Arizonans, damages our economy, damages, you know, how people perceive us. You know, we don't have to be the lapping stock uh, uh, and just take it um, just because no selection just happened. There's, there's other mechanisms we can use to really, you know, challenge Sheriff Arpaio, especially when it comes to, you know, the basic rights of us as citizens. And it sounds like it's a perfect example of, people um, not knowing what to do, where to start, maybe feeling overwhelmed, maybe feeling that they don't know where to get information and they're feeling uninformed but they don't really know where to start. And then um, people as yourself coming in and banding together with people that pulling their resources and their gifts together and saying, okay, you know, it's going to be a long haul but we can do this. And it sounds like you were starting to educate people, inform people, give them encouragement, show them financial support and show them, you know, how to be foot soldiers and get things done, um, which is basically what we are all trying to do. We're trying to be advocates for those that don't know where to start or don't even know that there's another way, like you said, presenting an option to them. So that's that's wonderful that you've been able to be so well-received. People were probably so excited to have you and probably felt a lot of relief Citizens for Better Arizona kind of guiding them. I would imagine you were met with a lot of relieved faces and a lot of happy people that were grateful for you. Yeah, and then as any organizing effort, though, it, it is a tough, a tough trajectory. It's a tough journey because even on the progressive side, you have people who 
this recall of our pile was not on their to-do list. They either were looking to run for office or are running for office. They were trying to get their issue out there, their agenda out there. And so when you run, when you put something out there like this, you know, people, you know, people, even people in the Democratic Party are like, well, hey, you know, yes, we don't like our pile, but at the same time, you know, we're trying to build this organization here. We're trying to do this. And so what we try to do is say, look, this campaign can help you build what you're trying to do. This campaign can help mm-hmm. you bring more people into your movement, into your organization. This campaign can get people engaged. We have over 11,000 people that registered to vote just so they can sign the recall petition. Whether wow. we get them petition or not, you cannot undo that work. We told people that, right. you know, the reason, one of the reasons why we were able to, be, to recall Russell Pierce because at the end of the day, after we turned in those signatures, we had over 20,000 conversations. Not mail drops, not not door knocks, not phone calls, but conversations with people asking them to sign the petition. Um, and so they were already engaged, and, and so you, have, you tell them why, you educate them. So that type of, you know, grassroots politics is becoming less and less common in, in, most, in most states. That's very empowering. Very empowering when you finally feel like, okay, we can do this, and you see light at the end of the tunnel after feeling so so suppressed for so long. Um that this kind of gets the ball rolling, and that's very admirable for for, for you and the citizens of Arizona doing that. And I think, too, uh, uh, the fact that um, being able to get 11,000 people that weren't registered before, I, I think you're right, other progressive organizations or Democratic candidates should look look at that as a positive because a lot of times on off-election years it's hard to get people motivated to do anything or at least, I mean, other than the people that are always involved in politics, which is a really small slice of the population. So if you can mobilize people around the uh, recalling the sheriff issue, then you can get them involved in stuff, get them registered to vote. And I know both Arizona and Texas um, have a problem with a fairly low Latino turnout relative to their population. And part of it in Arizona is because a lot of them are young. Some of them are too young to vote and some of them aren't citizens yet, but I mean, but but it's time for, and of course they don't vote as a monolithic block, but I mean, it's, it's, it's important, I think, for Latino voters to get themselves registered and to be able to vote and to sort of, you know, on some issues where they might be able to form a voting block or at least um, kind of counter sort of the older white vote that's there that might be beholden to our pile, but kind of get a more diverse electorate. And so, that's a really promising development, so I hope that that continues. Yep. And also, what's new here now? If you uh, is the managing is the campaign manager for Recall uh, for Respect Arizona, and of course the website is Recall Our Pile A R P A A I O dot com. She can really answer some of the uh, when it really tells about who's coming to the table, who's helping making this happen. She can really give you the most up to date information about that. Okay. What was that website again? I'm sorry. Her name is Delia Alvarez. Okay. Hold on one second. Sure. Hello? And I think I think that's just a, a great thing. And also, I, you know, there's probably a way at that website, too, where people can donate if the campaign needs money. Or if you're in Arizona, if you can plug in and volunteer, too, I'm sure they could use shoe leather and door knocking, that's always really important for campaigns like that. And so hopefully hopefully those things can be brought together during the campaign season. Um, Lilia, is that you? Are you on the yes. line? 
Hi. Hi. So you're the campaign Hi. manager for um, Recall Arpaio, is that correct? Yes, Respect Arizona. For Respect Arizona? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Um, do you have any um, events or fundraisers or anything that you um, have coming up that you'd like to share with our listeners that you want to get the word out? Absolutely. Um, actually, this is a, a very busy weekend. Um, as, as you know, yesterday we had our major grassroots event um, where more than 400 volunteers strong came forward taking responsibility for this effort. Tomorrow we have Senator Linda Lopez, an elected official here, um, hosting a fundraiser. And also other community leaders are stepping up this weekend, also hosting fundraisers. And different uh, church leaders are also helping us collect signatures um, you know, while, or, or communicate our effort to their congregations. Um, and there's also um, a big gay pride parade going on this weekend where we will be collecting signatures with, you know, our volunteers. Okay. Do you have a specific website that our listeners can go to or Facebook page info that you're more than welcome to get that out there um, to the listeners? I'm sorry, yes. We can, um, I can give you that information so we can put it out. Okay. Do you want to give us your website information now? Yes, recallarpile.com. Okay. And then you have a Facebook page as well, is that correct? Yes, it's Respect Arizona. It's a okay. Facebook page. And everything's on there. It is definitely posted. And so that's where people can get information um, about uh, the recall campaign and about Respect Arizona, where people might be able to um, donate their time or their money or, or whatever they might be able to do and find out what events are coming up. Because obviously very important grassroots effort and uh, um, and people all around the country are rooting for you. I mean, <laughs> it's not just Arizona. I mean, Arpaio has been uh, sort of a sore spot um, all over the place because of uh, so many infringements on people's civil liberties and civil rights, and it would just be really nice to, to get a victory there, to, to have him defeated and put somebody else in who's more reasonable. Right. It's, you know, one of, our, one of our supporters, she's a, a Republican, and when I asked her why she got involved, she said, "Well, this is the this is the first time there's a legitimate effort to recall the sheriff. Other people have made attempts, but it's never reached legitimacy, as as this effort has, um, based on just the amount of signatures we've been able to collect thus far." Also, she mentioned that when when people ask, "Well, why don't you just wait until the sheriff dies? He's 80 years old. Maybe he'll just, you know." Uh, past here pretty soon, and her statement is very clear to me and very dear to me that that doesn't send any kind of message to just mm-hmm. wait for him to pass on. Um, this is about moving society forward, and in order to do that, citizens, residents need to make an investment so that our voice is heard. So that I mean, that's the only way to actually propel significant change in Maricopa County. Well, and also it gives those politicians that would take up the reins where Arpaio left off to take heed that, you know, you better toe the line or this is what we we have the ability to do this. We've done it before and we'll Mm -hmm. do it again. 
You either, exactly. you know, you speak for all or none, you know, basically exactly. is what I'm saying. Exactly. Yeah. So, exactly. um, I, yeah, like, I, 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 I kudo you guys and your effort. Again, I agree with Keith so heartily. Um, you know, I live in Iowa and I, you know, see these stories and it, it, SB 1070 enraged me and we don't even have that kind of issue here, although there's people like Steve King who brings up the immigration issue all the time, and it's not an issue here. But for whatever reason, it's it's a vitriol kind of red meat that, that they throw to the people that follow them, um, and it's it's just it's, it's it makes me cringe. You know, I can't even imagine living in a state where you guys have to face this, and you are a Latino. You know, I mean that right. <laughs> it's one of those kind of. When they talk about that, it's like, you know, here in Iowa, we don't talk about people like that. You know, we just, we just, you know, we're pretty even keeled for the most part. But but to have that that vitriol and that, that just intensity of just nastiness, it's just not something I would think you'd want as a platform, as a politician. But for some reason, it works. And that's the right. scary part. Right. This effort is, is going to be successful because we have people from across the spectrum Co-chairs are Asian American, White American, Republican, Independent, um, Democrats. It's, it's really such a varied and diverse group of people that are saying we, we stand with this effort. And most of them have not been political before. Most of right. them have never believed, you know, that their voice mattered until this effort. And now, mm-hmm. I mean, they just at our event, several of them spoke, and they're not professional speakers. They stand up right. before the crowd, and they, they're nervous, and they stutter, and but they say, I'm a co-chair for this effort, and I'm collecting signatures, and I'm raising money, and I'm bringing my contacts to the table, and that's what that's it awesome. takes. That's awesome. Yeah, and I think it points out, too, that um, I think what, what uh, Sheriff Opio is missing and what a lot of people seem to miss is that when you're an elected official, you're elected as a public servant, and you're supposed to serve the public. And you can't make everybody everybody happy all the time. I mean, obviously, there's issues that divide people. But when you're, when you're violating the public's trust in such, a, such overt and, 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 and over-the-top ways, of course, that, that's what mobilizes people to get out there, maybe people that aren't always interested in politics because he's obviously failing as a public service. He's not servant. He's not doing his job, which is to protect and serve the people. I mean, he's serving himself. And I think, I think uh, I applaud your effort because I think that's coming out and that's why there's Republicans and independents and Democrats all working against him. It's not just a small group of people with a particular um, political agenda, but it's a, it's a whole spectrum of people that are disgusted with the way he's running the county as sheriff. Right, right. And we do, we really do um, welcome support across, I mean, state lines. We want people to feel that this is their cause also, as many have watched it happen through the years and have complained, you know, in, in other states to please join this effort and, and make it their own by contributing online, by telling their friends and family about this effort and really spreading the word that they can make an impact by actually donating to our cause. It's not like, you know, those state lines should at all limit them in doing so. 
Is, it, is there a donation page on your website if people want to donate with the credit card, or is there a, a spot that you need to send that to? Yes, it's Wonderful. a very user-friendly system. It's just one page. Um, it's there is a green button on the on the website that says "Donate Now," and you go on there and you can contribute with your credit card, and um, it just asks for the very basic information that we are required to to ask. Yeah, so I hope our listeners will consider that if you get a tax return back, as much as you might need a a new big screen TV or something. The Maricopa County needs a, a new sheriff even more. So if you could give part of your tax return to that, that would be great if any of you are getting a refund. Thank you. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as much as you might need something, they need a new sheriff worse. Than, you know. Yes, we so. do. We desperately need a new sheriff. Well, thank you so much for coming on. and It was quite uh, unexpected, and we really appreciate you giving us um, a lot more detail as far as what your organization is, is doing. And, and, again, we applaud you for your efforts. And um, please thank Randy as well. Um, we enjoy having him on the show. He's, he's a great spokesman um, for the state of Arizona, and we just wish there were, you know, we could, you know, multiply him times thousands because I yes. might, you know, visit Arizona one of these days if you guys could. That's all I got to say. <laughs> <laughs> I've been there. Thank I like you Arizona. So much. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll, I'll go. I'll spend more time in Maricopa County if I'm not afraid of the sheriff. I, last time I went to Arizona, I went to Tucson, but I'd like to go to Phoenix. So, <laughs> but yeah. Julia, congratu- congratulations on it. Congratulations on everything that you've accomplished so far, Lydia. We're, we're all behind you. Uh, feel free to give us updates. On where you're Absolutely. at, we're going to be we'll be watching you and rooting Thank for you. you. Thank you. Thank so you much. so much. Thank you for Thank everything. Thank you. Have a great night. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Wonderful. So obviously a lot of strong work that they're doing down there, uh, facing um, uh, maybe what's an uphill battle, but one that I think they can win because uh, at least with uh, uh, Randy's other organization or Citizens for a Better Arizona, they were capable able to recall Russell Pierce, who was a state senate leader there, and he was the only state senator who's ever been recalled in the state of Arizona. So the people we talk to tonight, when they get involved, they get it done. It's, um, but but they do need help because, you know, it's still Arizona and it's a, a tough crowd there. So everything, anything our listeners can do to help and provide support is wonderful. Um, with that, I'd like to just um, come to our major news story uh, that um, has kind of developed mostly over today. Well, we were originally going to mention that uh, Republican Senator Mark Kirk from Illinois came out in favor of marriage equality. Good for him. But uh, today the floodgates opened even more in the last couple of days. Uh, uh, the Democratic uh, senators, Bill, Bill Nelson of Florida, um, Joe Donnelly of Indiana, and Heidi Heitkamp of North Dakota, the last two being in pretty red states, have all come out for marriage equality, giving the Senate a marriage equality majority of, I guess, 52 senators four and 47 against, of course. Uh, on the Democratic side, there's 48 or 50, if you count uh, Bernie Sanders and Angus King, who caucus with the Democrats but are anomaly ind- independents. There are 50 Democratic senators on board and two mm-hmm. Republicans. So we'll see who's next. But there is a majority in the Senate now in favor of gay marriage, and, and the only remaining Democratic holdouts um, are, uh, uh, I guess, Tim Johnson of South Dakota and Joe Manchin of West Virginia. Um, Somebody mentioned earlier that they might have flipped, but I haven't been able to confirm that. But for sure, uh, 
Mark Pryor of Arkansas and Mary Landrieu of uh, Louisiana still have not come out in favor, but it may be only a matter of time. And on the Republican side, it may only be a matter of time before a couple more come over, like maybe Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins. The rest of them might wait a while. But but uh, um, I just wanted to say, in the in the culture war on marriage equality, it does really look like our side is winning um, right now. I mean, it's it's happening fast. Well, let's hope it does because, you know, I, I'm not – surprised by Mary Landrew. I mean, to me, I can't stand that woman. I will call her out right and left, regardless if she's a Democrat or not, because to me, she is nothing more. She epitomizes, and excuse my language, a corporate whore. And I cannot stand her. <laughs> Just every time she opens her, I was like, why are you even on the Democratic Party ticket? I don't understand. You would do extremely well as a Republican. And I understand we need our blue, you know, the Democratic tent is a big tent. I get that, you know. But when you constantly, constantly go up issue after issue after issue against the party that you supposedly are involved with, my thought process is why are you in this party? Um, And like I said, I know they have to represent their constituents, um, but there are some there are some key elements that Democrats are firm on. And quite frankly, you know, that's it. You, you either, you know, I, it's all fine and good with, for the little stuff, you know, as far as that goes. But our core values and our platform are pretty specific, just like the Republicans are. And when you vote more like a Republican than you do a Democrat, I just got to say, why are you a Democrat? She's just one of those. I have I've I've had it in for her ever since Obamacare, and her little you know skirting around the issues. And she does this every time she's up for re-election. She gets more conservative when she's you know up for you know the the big ones. But other than that, yeah, and I think it's no accident that both her and Pryor are holding it pretty close to the vest. Both of them face elections next year in states that aren't terribly friendly to gay marriage to begin with. And I noticed, um, like, Heitkamp and Donnelly just got elected, and one thing that they have going for them, and I think they were smart enough to read the tea leaves, is if you look at Nate Silver's analysis of when the states will flip to 50-50 or whatever, even by 2018, North Dakota and Indiana may have a pro-gay marriage majority at the at the current trajectory. The last states to fall in line are... I think in order, Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, amazingly, which will all probably happen after Utah, even though Utah has a, a very heavy Mormon population, they seem to be a, a little more uh, pro-gay marriage than some of the really deep South states. Of course, there are a lot of uh, non-Mormons out there that uh, are probably making up some of that. And then there's some moderate Mormons, people like John Huntsman and stuff, but, you know, and Harry Reid, I guess, on the Democratic side, who, who don't necessarily follow what the you know church hierarchy tells them to do. So, um, but but it, it certainly is a, um, a, a tricky issue. But 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 it's a civil rights issue, and I think sometimes people, even if they're in a tough environment, you have to sometimes lead because when sometimes when you when you do lead, like the president did and came out in favor of it. Well, guess what? Sometimes public opinion goes with you, even in those dark red states. And the other thing I I think that. Uh, with so many senators coming out all at once, is I think it actually puts pressure on the Supreme Court to do the right thing and not, you know, I know that 
in our civics lessons, we always learn that the court doesn't have anything to do with politics and they always interpret the law. But, but you know they know what's going on in the environment around them and they do act within the political context. And I have the feeling that uh, Justices Kennedy and Roberts don't necessarily want to be 20 years behind the rest of the country. I have a feeling that they might want the legacy of the court not to look like they were hopeless reactionaries. I, I don't have much hope for for Scalia or Clarence Thomas or Samuel Alito. I mean, they will they will be people that they'll be drag, uh, kicking and screaming, getting dragged into the 20th century or the 21st century. But mm-hmm. but Roberts and Kennedy maybe a wild card. I mean, Kennedy's been pretty sympathetic to. Uh, civil rights for gay and lesbian people anyway, so he's probably going to do the right thing. And Justice Roberts, who knows, he's very conservative, but but he does sometimes surprise people like he did on the Obamacare vote yep. because I think at some level he sees himself as an independent conservative and not necessarily taking his marching orders from Glenn Beck and Rush Limbaugh like Scalia and some of the others seem to do. I mean, they, right. I'm not sure. I mean, you know, sometimes Scalia, it's like, does he really have a law degree? Because I'm not hearing it. <laughs> his arguments no. are, are very twisted. But. but, yeah, that's the thing of it is, is that, you know, I guess what my, I mean, I still got my equal sign on my profile, and I've kept it on the Liberal Fix Facebook page because I'm not, my opinion, it's not coming down until that decision does. Um, just because I feel that strongly about it, and maybe it's because I was involved with One Iowa here um, when we had to go through our little deal where we had to try and keep gay marriage. Um, and it's it's funny because the whole gay marriage thing just kind of happened overnight based off of the Iowa Supreme Court, and, and then the rest of the time, you know, we've been fighting while the conservatives have tried to been, you know, chip away at it little by little because I think it even surprised them that it went over without much of a fuss. Um, and, and now things have, you know, the first couple of years it was pretty rough and we had all this outside money coming in and, uh, you know, Vander Platt's, you know, coming in and, and trying to get this, thought, you know, up to a vote. And it's like the, the Supreme Court already ruled. How can we put it up to a vote? And quite frankly, how can you put any civil rights up to a vote? You know, I've never understood that argument. Um, And it's like, so do gay people get to vote on your marriage? It's It's a civil, it's a union by law. So do they get to vote? Do we get to hold a vote? If somebody puts that on the ballot, do we get to vote on straight marriage then? You know, I mean, it's just one of those deals where you take a lot for granted and and I'm just hoping that, you know, I would love it if we got a surprise from, you know, uh, them and let us know that, you know, finally we are kind of easing into the 21st century and some of these issues that a lot of people are already comfortable with. So um, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I'm, I'm hoping it goes the right way, but with the court the way it's divided, it's it's it could. It just depends. It really does. Yeah, it's kind of scary. and there's a range of options they could choose from. So, um, you know, they they could have something that's sort of a split decision where it just applies to California, or in, in which case, you know, both sides might be able to claim a partial victory. But, but anything, you know, at, at this point, it uh, no matter what the court rules, it seems like in the in the court of public opinion, the, the shift has been very dramatic even over the last three or four years, certainly mm-hmm. in the last 10 or 20 years. I mean, the tide is, it's happening faster than I, than I expected it to, and I'm pleasantly surprised by that because, uh, you know, I mean, a few years ago I couldn't pass in California on the ballot, and, 
And now it looks like if it were to be put on the ballot in states quite a bit more conservative than California, I'd have a fighting chance. You know, I might be able to pass in places like, you know, Florida or, or Ohio or somewhere, you know, that or Pennsylvania, places that are kind of uh, middle-of-the-road swing states, and eventually eventually, even some of the red states will probably be on board. It may take them 10 years, but it's not going to take an entire lifetime anymore, at least if things continue at the rate they're going. And with with so many politicians jumping on board, um, you know, they don't want to be the last one at some point. I mean, it's embarrassing right. if you're the only one, <laughs> you know. If there's well, many, you, you know, you can huddle together and say, well, we're representing this caucus or whatever. But when you get down to two or three, then you're in trouble. Well, right. I think and part of it, too, is staying on the on the theme with Randy Peraza and Citizens for Better Arizona, et cetera, I think part of it is people are starting to feel empowered and people are, are realizing and remembering when I call the senator, when I email, when I fax, when there's a group of us that do this together, things can get changed. And I think that um, enough people are starting to band together and call their senator and make a difference and say, this is, this is what we want. You're representing us and the majority wants this. I think part of it was Obama's clear majority win um, with the election. People are realizing you know, majorities do have a vote and majorities have a voice and things happen when the majority mm-hmm. gets through. And I think people are starting not to be so disheartened, like gay marriage will never be acceptable and it will never happen. And I think people are seeing their senators start to um, go with the wave, with the wave of uh, popular uh, opinion. And I think that's a, a big statement that part of, you know, that's our, our goal in liberal fix is to empower people and support them and make them feel that, you know, you can make a difference, just like the Citizens for Better Arizona are making a difference, Respect Arizona is making a difference. We can all make a difference in calling our senators and emailing and faxing and working together um, to let them know this is not acceptable anymore. This is what we want. This is the change that we are voting for and, and make it happen. And I think yeah, that's, that's a good I think that's, that's a good true. I mean, yeah, I mean, because I know people in both Indiana, who, who, which is Dan's state, I wish Dan was here for that, but uh, who contacted Joe Donnelly, and I know people in North Dakota who contacted Heidi Heitkamp, and I think they might might have both been pleasantly surprised because you're so used to contacting your representatives and getting, you know, a form letter back. But, but yeah. I, I think there was pressure, and I also think even though usually I'm kind of skeptical of sort of online Facebook activism or something, in terms of the red equal sign or the equal sign thing, I think that was a very successful campaign. And some of these people might have saw, well, geez, you know, i got a 1,000 constituents following me and 600 of them have those dang equal signs out there. You know, I better, yeah. I better get on, the, on board here because this is way more popular than I thought it was. And they look at the map and see which counties are doing it, and they're like, my gosh, it's even popular in Laramie, Wyoming, you know. <laughs> I mean, right. you know, so so then they're like, well, gosh, if they can do it over here, geez, I, you know, I'm in Indiana. That's not so bad. <laughs> so. Right. Yeah, and that's like I said, you know, it's one of those things where I'm I'm going to be a holdout. I mean, I know I'm not a phase person if I believe in it, whether it's popular or not. And, you know, a lot of that was, you know, the equal sign, everybody jumped on board. But I've noticed even some of my friends have, you know, switched back to their the regular thing, and and I'm like, mm, no, not me. It's gonna stay up there until that decision is made. I don't care if it's months. Now I may do it on the liberal fix one, but my own personal page, it's gonna stay there. Um, just because, like I said, we've been fighting it here in Iowa to keep it um, without having it be chipped away, and so it's it's pretty important to me as far as that goes because I know gay people and I've I've worked side by side with them and 
you know, and it, it's amazing what when you do that, much like what's going on in Arizona, what you can accomplish. So, you know, I don't think anybody should ever say to themselves, well, we, we, we can never do it. Well, you're never going to know until you try. Um, and that's why we have to keep pushing because if we don't, things could go backwards in a big hurry. So Yeah, and there forward. is still a lot of crazy out there, and I guess we probably will hear some in the What the Bleep segment, which we should probably – Yep, well, we, I mean, crazy, so I only got two stories, so I, well, I don't have hey, to be quite enough. as fast. <laughs> that's enough. Yeah, and kind of keeping, well, we got to do our little, you know, our little intro, otherwise it just doesn't count, you know, kind of do What so. the All right, well, we, speaking of, of the gay, uh, we've got uh, in uh, Virginia, uh, we got Cuccinelli uh, kind of getting all the, getting kind of a little, uh, uh queasy about the the whole gay thing. Um, I was just kind of shocked when I read this story. Um, last month, three judges at the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit uh, deemed Virginia's anti-sodomy law unconstitutional. Uh, the provision part of the state's crime against nature law has been moot since the 2003 U.S. Supreme Court decision overruled state laws barring consensual gay sex. But Virginia has kept that pro- prohibition on the books. Um, now Virginia Attorney General and Republican gubernatorial candidate, Shudder, uh, Ken Cuccinelli, is asking the full Fourth uh, Circuit to reconsider the case. Cuccinelli wants the courts to revive, uh, revive the pro- prohibition on consensual anal and oral sex hmm. for both gay and straight people. Uh, I guess it's just too icky. Uh, for Ken there. Um, the, the funny thing is on this particular uh, case, and it was kind of reported, um, is that the Fourth, uh, the Fourth Circuit Appeal Court said a representative of the Virginia Attorney General Office filed the petition under constitutionality's behalf on March 26th. Uh, the re- petition requests what is known as an, a bank hearing before a full 15 judge to reconsider the earlier rulings by the three-judge panel. I, that, I'd love to sit on the, in on that one and see people that talk about this in a court of law. Um, Mother Jones confirmed that Cuccinelli has filed a request with the court as well, given that the Supreme Court has already ruled that gay sex is okay and moved on to the question of gay marriage. Um, as According to Mother Jones, they would expect this whole uh, appeal to not go very far. Um, so basically... That's a, I'm just going to, we're going to leave it off at that. Um, Naomi, why don't you give us a lowdown of who's going to be on next week? Um, well, next week we're going to have John Shire, who's the author of Tales of a Real American Liberal. And Tales of a Real American Liberal is also a Facebook page, so we encourage you to swing on over there and like that one. And then on the 19th, we're going to have the Facebook administrator of We Survived George Bush, You Will Survive Obama. I know it's a really popular Facebook page as well. That's Lou. It's Carla Giovanni, and then we will also have a future guest, Mark Potok, who's from the Southern Poverty Law Center, and we'll also have uh, Caroline Heldman, who's the Associate Professor of Politics at Occidental College in Los Angeles. So we have a full and very exciting guest list coming up in the upcoming weeks. Yeah, and once again, I'd like to thank uh, our guests, Randy Peraz and Lulia for um for their update and what all the hard work they're doing. Again, this has been Keith Breakfast, Crystal Kaiser, and Naomi for Liberal Fix Radio and Dan Bimrose and Abstentia still with us. And uh so just everybody uh be kind and have a safe weekend and good night. 